to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. I'm your host, Nate. And I'm your co-host, Brian. And we have a new topic that we're breaking down for you. This one is a comparative topic. We're talking about having a killer culture or having a culture that kills. Make sure you tune into part two of this podcast to hear an interview with Todd Helm. He is a service plumber and a field supervisor with Benjamin Franklin Plumbing. And he uh, is going to give us some practical insights into having a killer culture coming from cultures that have been killing for him uh, and just uh, the impact that that experience has had on him both personally and financially and how he continues to work towards it even today. But for now, we want to introduce the subject for you with a little back and forth with Brian and myself. And to do that, we start with our quote, Brian. If you are lucky enough to be someone's employer, then you have a moral obligation to make sure people look forward to coming to work in the morning. John Mackey of Whole Foods. That is a heavy quote, um, specifically for Brian and myself as we uh, lead teams. And if you are listening to this podcast and you're a leader as well, then you understand the importance and the accountability that that statement has in your life and what it means. Hopefully you understand. That's right. And part of having a killer culture is that understanding. Otherwise, you run the risk of having a culture that kills. And so just to kind of break down uh, what we mean by those, those two phrases there. So a killer culture, that, that is a culture that uplifts. It's a culture that drives people forward, that brings the team together, that brings unity, that has people working in it that are working for the betterment of the team and themselves and not just solely focused on me, me, me. Um, it or has, on getting out the door and getting away from that, this place as fast right. as possible. Yeah, that's right. Um, it has uh, people in it who are going to be selfless, who are willing to kind of dive on the grenade if necessary, who are willing to um, put others before them, who are willing to see others uplifted and trained and gain an experience of knowledge and technical ability and communication ability and all these things and are willing to lend whatever efforts they have uh, that they've already gained towards improving the team and others around them. And so that, uh, frankly, that is what we try to do here. We're trying to constantly put together a team of people, both in the field and in the office, who embody that definition. And it is a, an evolution, frankly, of something that we're, we're continuing to work at even to this day. And by no means do we feel that we have arrived we feel like we have it pretty good. We feel like we continue to push, but we're always looking to get better. That is part of having a killer culture is never settling. And that's really even a, an emphasis of this podcast is never settling, waste no day, have a killer culture. Contrary to that, unfortunately, there are many examples of businesses and employers out there that have a culture that kills. And we would define that as, as having a job that you just hate. It's filled with people who are working solely for the money, 
uh, and there's very little other enjoyment or purpose. Um, it, it's filled with people who are worried about what's theirs. Um, they're, they're not looking to help. They're not looking to be supportive. It's filled with unfair and unbalanced management. Um, people who are being treated inequitably one way or another uh, for no apparent reason. Um, lack of transparency. Uh, and, and many other things that just constantly drag the entire team down. Little accountability, little support, and little care, frankly. So when we're talking about the differences in culture, that's really where we're going to. And, and what we want this podcast, specifically this introduction to serve as, is kind of a, a check-in on ourselves. Brian, you and me, how are we doing? A check-in on you as a potential employee uh, uh, working for a business, whether in the trades or even anywhere else, frankly. And then also I want to focus on how all of us can work towards protecting uh, the good culture, what we can do to focus on that to make sure that it keeps moving forward. So Brian, I want to turn it over to you and just ask you the question, in your experience of working for multiple companies, what were some of the highlights that stood out to you over all those years, even if it wasn't in the trades, just all those years? Tell us like the highlights and the lowlights of how culture has impacted you. So I, <clears throat> I can easily start in the trades or out of the trades um, being, I don't know, uh, in, I don't know, I've trying to think of how many family members I have that are plumbers and it's several uh, going back quite a ways, but um I've been in, I've been in a catering job that had the best culture, uh, one of the best cultures I've been around. And, you know, all I did was, was wash dishes and cook on a grill in 92 degree weather with 90% humidity. <clears throat> and the culture was that of a guy singing while they were working and making jokes and having a great time. Um, and then, uh, jobs where, the job itself seemed like it would be much more fun than that. Um, like working in a warehouse, um, just, you know, being warm all day and not, not being too cold or too hot or sweaty or miserable, just, you know, having light work to do, but the people surrounding you were negative, miserable people. So it didn't, it didn't have, um, just, just the difference in culture made, um, one job fun to go to despite all the physical misery you're going to endure and then one job miserable despite it being fairly cushy and an easy job um, but as we get get like into the trades which is what we talk about here um, and really the difference in in one person one wrong person being on the team can make that job miserable especially when you're uh, an apprentice you're up and coming and everybody in the building has some measure of authority over you, one person who just finds fault in everything can make that job just miserable. Um, so part of having a good culture is obviously seeing, I mean, it's the same as having a good garden. If you look across that garden, even if it's a little vegetable garden, you see a big crabgrass plant growing out of it. You got to snatch that thing up and yank it out by the roots and make sure it doesn't infect the rest of the garden. And that's no different with culture at a company. <clears throat> you can have a new construction 
plumbing team that has to weather all the elements and you know you're out there in, in a foundation with no roof digging digging up the underground and laying the sewer pipes in the middle of winter and you can barely get your pickaxe in the ground because it's frozen but have a have four or five technicians who like to work together and have fun together and you know look at this task as something they look forward to fulfilling and you you can have a good culture out of that and I've seen that before and I've been part of a team like that and then on the other hand I've been part of a new construction plumbing team that was guys who really couldn't stand each other or themselves or their job and it was something where every time I woke up in the morning I'd stare at the ceiling like ugh, (laughs) really really can't uh can't wait to be back here this evening um and it's no different in, in the service, like residential service industry. I remember at the uh, company I worked for where I first really saw good culture in a plumbing organization um, out in Las Vegas. I was there for a little while, and then I was starting to train for um, to go sell timeshare, which was kind of a step I was taking not to get out of or away from the trades, but I wanted to hone my selling skills. And I had asked, I think I'd asked my mentor, who was also my manager, um, you know, what's the hardest thing you can sell? Like, what's the most difficult thing you can go do and and really have to push yourself and see a lot of failure to see some success? And whoever it was I asked said, well, we're in Vegas, so that's definitely timeshare. You just, so I talked to somebody who, worked there and it sounded it did sound like a pretty tough sell and I got involved in and uh but before I did I had to make a decision I was at a company that I considered the best plumbing company I'd ever worked at best company I'd ever worked at great culture great leadership um you know my my twin brother's there my cousin's there my wife's older brother's there I, I had brought together everybody I liked there to be part of the team but I couldn't get the time off that I needed, which was several hours a day to go train for timeshare. So I had to get a hold of another guy I knew in a local plumbing company, residential service plumbing company. Um, I won't say the name, although I do know that they don't exist anymore, so it doesn't really matter. But they were they were willing to give me the hours I wanted based on the level of production that I showed that I would be able to give them in the time that I'd be able to work. So I don't know, maybe I needed to be off by 1 p.m., 2 p.m. every day to go train. Um, And I'd only be there, you know, a certain amount of time, maybe a couple months until I was through it and licensed and could go work for Wyndham Vacation Ownership. And they were more than happy to let me come do it. And I remember within, I don't know, my first week there, it was only like three or four plumbers thinking, wow, this type of place still exists where you have an owner and a manager who are super negative. Um, They only care about production, which is fine. That's what a company exists for, but that's all they cared about. And it was so obvious. People meant nothing to them. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they had no morals, but mm, they were, it was, they fluctuated. (laughs) They could, they could, um, take them or leave them from time to time and they had people on the team who were just miserable hated each other hated the the company hated their clientele which was the worst part to me is to see 
that the people who are actually pulling their wallets out to make this place exist were treated like subhuman sometimes. So in my opinion, I could see ways that that culture could be turned around. But when you look at the top level of leadership, which was the owners, it started there. So, you know, not too shocking that they're out of business now, but, um, even as a manager, I don't think I would be able to help that place because your your highest level of leadership was a culture killer. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that, Brian. And I mean, I think your your pedigree of experience in positive and negative cultures has directly impacted how you choose to lead now because you have that that firsthand knowledge of what a negative culture looks like, feels like, smells like. And you've also had that positive experience too. And I think you combine both of those historical evidences to realize like, this is this is what I want this place to be like. This is how I want to lead. Is that kind of how you found your motivation for it? Well, that's, yeah, and it's, <clears throat> that goes two ways. Um, I can look back at, at that place I was in Las Vegas that had a great culture and it was a great team and say, this is, this is what I want it to look like. But I can also look back at the company I went to for a short time in that transition and say, at all times, this is why I will not hire this guy. This, this company is what we're trying not to be. And I don't know if it was the first day when I was promoted out of a truck here at uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Ben Franklin, but it was certainly the first week where I stood in front of the technicians and, um, I said, my goal here as a manager is to make sure that if, if, if I'm terrible at managing and they figure that out pretty fast, the um, systems I've put in place by that time will make sure it's a much better, much more fun place to work. Yeah, and I think that certainly had a, a drastic impact on the trajectory of our businesses here, um, and specifically Benjamin Franklin. And that's what I want to kind of talk about next, which is, why do we, uh, being in leadership, choose to operate the way that we do, and, and where does that come from? So I'll just start with a, a kind of obvious one, which is treatment of employees. I think something that really rubs a lot of people the wrong way is when they see unfair treatment in the workplace. Somebody gets all the uh, abilities to you know, you know bend, bend the rules and you cut the corners and, the, and those types of things and nobody says anything about it and it's you know it's wide out in front of everybody and everybody knows what's going on and it's just allowed to exist and I think that's something that is really harmful and begins to erode a killer culture into a culture that kills and so something that we try to do here is we we try to take that into consideration in fact sitting in many management meetings, we talk about how does the impact of one decision affect the perspective of the, the masses later on. Yeah, we actually, we, we actually have those conversations and talk about that, um, where we as a management team, including the two owners, will think that a particular course of action is, is going to be, you know, it's going to make the place more profitable. But then unlike most leadership teams, or certainly most of the places I'd ever worked um, outside of probably one, the question will be asked inevitably by one of us, 
how will this impact culture? So how will this impact our team? And how will this impact our team's view of us as the leadership team? Um, will this make this place somewhere uh, somewhere that more people or less people want to come work for? Will our people like to be here more or less as a result? And not every decision that's made can be solely for the sake of the team. Um, I mean, one in particular is the the app that we put on all the work phones here recently, where if your truck is driving, you your phone basically doesn't work. You can receive a Bluetooth call if you have a Bluetooth device connected, but you can't send or receive a text message or email or anything. You can't be on Facebook until that truck stops and is put in park. Now, this is not one that makes people go, I want to go work there, <laughs> certainly. But we do feel like for the safety of our technicians and the safety of anyone driving around our technicians' trucks, um, this was a decision we had to make going forward just for the sake of you know seeing so many people texting and scrolling social media on their phones when you're riding around. It's just it's a danger to them. So it's one of the few decisions we made where it's probably not as great for culture. Um, you know, maybe it takes it from a 10 to a nine and a half, but on the safety side, it makes more sense to do it than not do it. But by and large, the decisions we make weighed against that culture scale, even if it would make us a little bit more profitable. Um, if it's a culture killer, the decision is almost inevitably no. Another thing that we tend to look at is evaluating the health of the team. And so we try to balance this with helping an individual out who may be struggling in an area and challenging them and and encouraging them to improve and get better. But then also taking that in light to how does it affect the greater team? So let's say, for example, somebody is um, constantly late or constantly calling off, or whatever it may be. And it may be, for, it may be for decent reasons, right? But the question is, how does that impact the health of the greater team? And that's something that I think culture really plays into. Like, what is the proper balance of holding somebody accountable while still remaining compassionate? What is the proper balance of creating expectations while not creating hardships? And that's something that we try to work out. And frankly, we work it out in, in real time. And I can't say that we always make the right decision or the right call, but it's something that we are constantly keeping in front of ourselves so that we are aware how does the impact of how I treat this one individual, whether it's you know, encouraging them or allowing them uh, more grace, impact the health of the entire team. And that's, that's something that we've seen playing out here as well, Brian, and I think you could probably speak to a couple examples on that. Yeah, there's, uh, well, I'm not sure what example type of example you're looking for, but I do have one where we had an extremely high producing technician whose who's clients really liked the guy. So by all measures, he's a, he's a big success. Um, but he, he, from time to time, rubbed the team the wrong way. And I would say more guys liked him than didn't, but he would do some pretty self-centered things that usually ended up impacting his teammates in a negative way. And I do believe at this time he was our number one producer in terms of truck revenue and the plumbing team. Um, 
he he asked a technician to take his Wednesday on call. Um, I forget what he had going on, but that technician said, uh, I actually need this Saturday off and I'm on call. So if you can take that, I'll take your Wednesday. Um, so they made the swap. And then that Saturday rolled around and we couldn't get a hold of him. So he wasn't answering his phone. So I sent one of the field supervisors to his house, they actually lived pretty close to each other. And his truck was there, but his personal vehicle wasn't. So we, we really had no idea what was going on. And <clears throat> unfortunately had to get a, a hold of the guy who was originally on call, being that you know your on-call rotation is your responsibility at the end of the day, um, and and ask him if he could you know run out and hit some of these calls. And he said, you know I I, I need to be off early afternoon for what I had going on, but I'll I'll start hitting calls if you need me to. And this this left a pretty bad taste in my mouth. This was the first overt thing that this guy had done that was um, really negatively impact one of his teammates. But it wasn't the first thing I'd seen that gave me pause for concern. Um, so I don't know, I think it was maybe like 1030 in the morning, he finally got back a hold of his his team leader. And Brennan called me and said, yeah, he said he's, uh, he just stayed up, you know, drinking late with his girlfriend or something. And uh, he's kind of feeling like crap. And uh, he's not going to be able to make it in. So just go ahead and let the other guy run all the calls that day. And I called him myself and said, you know, um, I don't know. I might have been yelling a bit. Um, the biggest thing for me was that he was okay with the guy who had taken his his day now running a full day and not being able to do what he needed to do. And his attitude was that of like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, so what? <clears throat> and I thought about it Saturday evening, and, I, you know, I don't know how late he stayed up or how much he had to drink, but I knew that it's probably not a good idea to have him in a truck today anyway. Um, I, I gave him a call Sunday, maybe either Saturday night or Sunday, and, and asked him um, what was his plan, what, what was he going to say to the other guy uh, on Monday morning. And he said, Nothing. I said, well, certainly an apology, right? And he's like, well, I mean, I'll tell him, I'll get him another day. He can just pick a day. He was he was very crass about it and nonchalant. And I'm just thinking about the fact that everybody in the company by Monday morning is going to know what was done. And then they're just going to be sitting there in the same room together like nothing ever happened. And I brought him in Monday morning and I just let him go. I just fired him. <clears throat> and a lot of guys were shocked by that move because he was my – our number one producing tech. But I thought about the, you know, the guys who are least producing techs or, you know, just everybody else in that plumbing room having to sit there and seeing that all was well with him, despite that he had no other, no other way to explain it, completely screwed over another, another technician on the team. And for what he would have brought in, you know, revenue would have been great. Um, but I felt like this was a crossroads for me where I, I could either focus solely on revenue or focus on the team. And I made the choice to focus on the team in hopes that the production will come. And we grew substantially, as I believe, as part of a, 
um, partly at, at least as a result of that decision. You know, and I consulted the other managers, you, Nate, Aaron, Buckwalter. I don't think it reached the uh, level of the owners, but the three of us agreed on my decision, and, and that's what we went with. Yeah, and it's, it's that type of hard decision that is what protects good culture, killer culture, from becoming a culture that kills. And I want to talk about protection at the end of this podcast, but for right now, let, let's just do a self-evaluation of of how you personally are impacting the culture at your business. So first out, uh, first off, I'll just say, if you feel working for Brian, myself, or anybody else in this company, if you feel that our culture needs improvement, we want to hear from you. Because we want to be of the same mindset that we are preaching, saying, be open to learn, be open to change, and we want, we want to embody that ourselves. So if you feel like there's something that we could do better, that we could do to make the culture better, we want to hear about it. And we want to consider what that looks like. Or if you feel like you've been adversely impacted by a decision that we made in the past and, you know, you felt like it was a culture killer for you, we want to hear about that too because we want to constantly evaluate whether we're making or have made the best decisions. Outside of that, I want you, just like I, to, to think about how my personal decisions are impacting the culture around me. Am I a person who is building the culture up and making it a killer culture, or am I a person that's tearing it down and making this a miserable place to live? And some of those things, uh, you, you can ask questions to yourself. Like, when's the last time that I offered to help somebody. I think that's a, a good place to start. Just checking your heart. When's the last time that I offered to volunteer, to do something? When's the last time that I did something without being asked in the first place? When's the last time that I, you know, stayed out late helping a guy or offered to pick up an extra call or offered to pick up an extra shift or offered to just run over and help a guy who was struggling? When's the last time that I saw somebody looking a little down in the face in the morning and I went out of my way to ask that guy what was going on? How can I encourage you? What do you need? When's the last time that you put yourself out there and said, I'm going to be a servant today to somebody, somehow, some situation? And if the answer to that question is, hmm, it's been a while, then I think you need to check right there and say, all right, is, is that who I want to be? And if the answer to that question is, no, that's, that's pretty much who I am. That's what I embody. Then fantastic. Continue to do that. We encourage you and thank you for being of that mindset. Yeah. The best thing to do when it, when it comes to culture and speaking to technicians and, you know, shop techs, part runners, um, office staff, you know, people who might not um, be in a leadership position where you're hiring and firing and promoting based on culture. Um, as Dr. Jordan Peterson always says, if you really want to change the world, change yourself. Um, and he's like, you know, clean your room. If you want to make the world a better place, just start with what's six inches in front of you. Clean up your room, make your bed, um, thank somebody, do something for somebody. The, the light that emanates out of just that one little transaction can have a, a massive impact that you have no idea about. 
his um, what's what's the guy's name? The butterfly effect. Andy Andrews. Yeah. Yeah, Andy Andrews. Um, great, great book, and also just like YouTube videos about what the butterfly effect is. But it's it's you know our our office and Aaron Buckwalter who um, co manages the three brands here with me. Um, Aaron and I share an office, and our office is a place where if you come to it, you're going to get, well, you know, whatever we can do now in the COVID era, fist bump or an elbow or <clears throat> a kind word or just pumped up in some way, shape, or form. As when we started doing that, we did it out of um, probably shortly after watching the one of the YouTube videos about the butterfly effect by Andy Andrews and just the thought that if I just – you know, tell a, a tech this morning that his uniform looks sharp, hit him with a fist bump and tell him, I think he's going to, you know, he's going to break a record today. It's going to be a great day or that, you know, just the truck looks fantastic this morning. Nice job. Um, a compliment, some gratitude, thanking him for being here on time and always having a smile and a great attitude or whatever it is. I don't know how many people are going to be impacted by him in a positive way as a result of of that little bit of positivity coming from our office. So we always, we, we strive to make sure that if you come see us, that's how you leave. And then if he goes and sees three technicians in the warehouse, hopefully he has that little bit of impact on them. And then they see three or four people before they leave the office. Whereas if they'd come in and gotten berated, um, how many, how many negative contacts would there be after that so as jordan peterson says just start with what's right in front of you if you want to make an impact hit hit somebody up with some gratitude um or some positivity or point out something nice about them and see where it goes from there that's right and what i would draw your attention to is that at our company we've chosen to operate under something called EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Uh, it's by design through a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And, and through that process, what we've come across is our core values. So we have four core values, being professional, being thankful or, or having gratitude, being empathetic, and then also being driven. And so if you want to do a cultural check on yourself, uh, run yourself through what we call the people analyzer. So basically, take those four core values and grade yourself on a plus, minus, or a neutral scale. So when it comes to, say, professionalism, are you average, above average, or below average? Gratitude, same thing. Empathy, same thing. Uh, drive, same thing. If you're answering those questions honestly and objectively, and your answers are more on the negative or neutral side, come see us. Ask if there's ways that you can, you can improve or how you can get better or what you can do. If you're answering those questions and you're getting a lot of pluses, then you're probably helping to build the culture that we desire because our culture is fundamentally built upon those four core values. And that's a lot of what we focus on. It's a lot of what we train on. And it's a lot of what we hire on and promote on and frankly, uh, let people go on because they embody those four core values. And that's, that's really, if you want to look at the skeleton of our culture, it's those four things. And we have chosen to 
build that as a skeleton and then flesh it out in practicality with, you know, how, how we go about talking, how we go about interacting with people, how we go about training, what we train on, how we talk about things, whatever it may be. And, and from that point forward, we hope to have a, a living, breathing, walking culture that is fantastic and what everybody's looking for. And we, we know, I mean, obviously we're not there and we'll never actually end up there, but we know we're on our way there uh, as a result of so many people telling us that, um, well, we, we had a, a meeting with Eric, one of our electricians from Mr. Sparky here, who told us that his wife recently told him that he's a better human being as a result of working here. And that's not something we've heard a few times. That's something we've heard many, many times. And I, I believe even on the, uh, of the managers, our own wives would probably tell us the same thing. But we hear, we hear often that um, people take the values they learn here, the skills they learn here, and apply them at home, and it improves their family life. So we know in, in terms of our culture and just certainly the places most of the people in this building have been before we got here, a high, high percentage of those people would say that the culture here is is um, far better than anywhere else they'd been before. But the, it, that is because of a focused effort to make sure that we keep getting better and keep getting better and never get stagnant and never say we're good enough now so we just don't have to get – we just have to not get worse. But to always say let's get a little bit better and when we when we find somebody to hire – we hire so much more off of personality than skill by, I mean, by a long shot. It's somebody who is caring, nurturing, um, motivated, certainly. You have to have our core values, which are drive, empathy, professionalism, and gratitude. Um, and those do certainly encompass everything we're looking for. But if we find somebody who have has those core values and is that type of dynamic person um doesn't matter what position we're looking to hire for you're probably going to get hired and just trained for that position because if we're going to keep our culture uh growing the way it is and and flourishing and becoming a better and better place to call your home at least your career uh, it requires us to keep getting more people like that in here yeah and that's the thing that i wanted to wrap up with today brian is protecting the culture. How do we go about protecting a killer culture? And and how do we prevent ourselves from becoming a culture that kills? Because as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, the world is in a constant state of trying to get to chaos. Anything that is organized, anything that is efficient, is constantly trying to get to disorganized and efficient to inefficient. And that's just the nature of the world that we live in. Things are constantly breaking down. Our bodies are breaking down. Mechanicals break down. Everything is moving from perfect or almost perfect to a broken down status. And that is the exact same thing with a culture. The first step to protecting a culture is eliminating the lie that once you have it, it will just be forever. That's not the case. A culture is not a static thing. It is not a a piece of paper that goes unchanged. It is a living, breathing organism that if allowed to corrupt, will become corrupt. If allowed to slip into, you know, a, a tired state or a, 
a broken down state, it will happen. And so one of the things that we really focus on is, is not just accepting this as good enough, as pushing against the status quo, pushing against the settle mentality. And that's even another reason for this podcast. We want a way to encourage and improve you. And that's a big part of our culture. And improve ourselves. I think, I think one way to make sure that it's always getting better and not getting stagnant or getting worse, which it will do naturally, is get worse, is to, um, you know, to water and make sure that our vegetable garden gets sunlight. It's positivity. It's reinforcement. And I'm, so I'm, due to the fact that my second youngest daughter <laughs> has, um, my second of four children, as gymnastics, um, I am responsible for taking our puppy to puppy training school, which is not the highlight of my week, but not the worst thing I ever have to do. Um, and one thing that I noticed in there was they they only train reward-based. So they don't have like a, you know, a stick that they smack the puppies behind with when the puppy isn't acting right or doing what it's supposed to be doing. Everything they do with the puppies is you have treats in your hand and you get the puppy to do the command, to execute the command, and then you immediately give that puppy a treat and you click the little clicker um, so the, the puppy associates obeying you with getting rewarded. Now, it's not always going to be like that for the time being. You're just getting that puppy to understand that obeying you um, means you hear a click and then you get a treat. So... When you see a behavior that you don't want that puppy to do, you distract them with another behavior. And when they do it, treat. So to me, that's this, that, that system can be applied here. And I've always been more of a carrot than a stick um, leader myself. I'm, I'm not a disciplinarian. I'm much more of a um, reward-based manager. I'd much rather just set up goals and you know, spiffs and rewards and accolades so that people do the right thing to get there as opposed to standing behind people with, you know, a write-up slip saying do it or else. I, I don't like that style of leadership and I don't really want anything to do with it. Um, and I think as a result of that, the, the teams flourish and you can even take that to your home life or your family. If you have a, a place set up where people act a certain way, your kids act a certain way, or else punishment, more than likely you're going to have a house full of kids that are waiting until you walk out the door to do all the things that you don't want them doing. Um, whereas if you just give them other things to do, and if they do it, here's the reward, here's the, the blessing, here's the um, compliment, the gratitude, they're just going to be walking around looking for things to do that give them more reward. No, no different than we are ourselves. That's a really good point, Brian. And I think it is a, a large emphasis of the culture that we try to create here. And I, I just wanted to go back to the analogy used of the vegetable garden. So yes, part of what we do, part of what we try to do is constantly water the garden, provide it with sunlight, make sure that the, the nutrients in the soil are right and all that. But before that, we try to make sure that we have good seeds. And that's another way that we protect our culture. We constantly look for the seeds that we believe are going to flourish and not just flourish, but are going to improve the, the entire environment of the garden. 
And so we're, we're looking for people, if you didn't quite make that analogy, seeds to people. We're looking for people that we can plant into our culture who are going to make it even better, who are going to uplift it. And the way that we protect our culture from turning into one that kills is we make sure the bad seeds don't get in. And if they do get in, they quickly get rooted out. And let's not even say bad seeds, let's say wrong seeds. So if we're trying to plant a vegetable garden, let's forget about the crabgrass or the onion straw or the, the dandelions that can come in there. If you're trying to, to plant a vegetable garden, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a handful of you know, rosebush seeds and throw them in there because what good would that do you? You want to have a, a vegetable garden where you go pick cucumbers and tomatoes and use them for, for uh, your, your meals and whatnot. What would be the point of putting something with thorns all around that? But, you know, roses are great and a lot of people have rose gardens, but what good would that do you in your vegetable garden? So it's not necessarily just bad seeds. We also have to make sure we're not grabbing wrong seeds. Um, another thing that they talk about in that traction book by Gino Wickman is right person, right seat. It has to be the right person um, for the company, but they also have to be in the right seat. And just because somebody is a great person or not a negative person doesn't necessarily mean that they're the hire you're looking for. Hey, that's a really good point, Brian. And the right person, right seat is absolutely something that we focus on on, on a regular basis to make sure that we're getting uh, the best people to build our culture. And I think we want that to be the case uh, for anybody, you know, wherever you work. And specifically, if you're part of the tri-brand franchise industry, if you're with Benjamin Franklin or One Hour or Mr. Sparky, you know, I think that's the motivation behind all of those hiring practices, that we want to be the companies across the nation that have the right people in the right seats with cultures that are just flourishing and growing. And so if you are not part of that type of company right now, we're hiring. We're looking for people like you. We're looking for people who can make our culture better, who can grow and flourish in the garden that we have created, and who can bring even another level of positivity and just improvement to what we've already got going. So if that's you, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can hit us up on wastenoday.com. Uh, you can give us a ring. Just let us know. We'd love to meet with you. We'd love to get to know you better. We're always looking for culture builders, for people who are um, positive, for people who are encouraging, selfless, for people who are going to make it a killer culture and help us prevent it from becoming a culture that kills. That's a wrap for us today. We just want to remind you that this podcast is designed to be an encouragement for you, whether it's on the topic of culture or any others. Make sure that you tune in to part two of this podcast where Todd Helm, one of our Benjamin Franklin plumbers, uh, will break down his personal advice on the idea of culture and how it's impacted him. And then make sure you tune in to next week where we will be covering additional topics. We're always looking for new ideas. If you have something uh, an idea or a subject that you'd like to hear us talk about, we'd love to hear that too. As for you, make sure that you are encouraged. We want to remind you not to spend your days wishing for more. There is another level and you can achieve it. There is a better you inside of you and you can get yourself there. So just remember that and remember that you have the opportunity every single morning to wake up and choose to waste no day.
This podcast is a production of the South Central Pennsylvania branch of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric.